Welcome to Centerpoint Church Podcast. At Centerpoint Church, we are a community of believers impacted by God's saving grace and the love He demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Our response to this amazing grace is to allow it to transform our lives and share it with others. As a body of believers, we find our purpose in knowing Christ, growing together, and reaching beyond ourselves to help others do the same. Compromise has its place, but not when it comes to following Jesus. His way is the way. There is no compromise. My name is Chris Godfordson. There we go. And it's my pleasure to serve Center Point Church as a campus pastor here in Sioux Center. Um, if you're worshiping with us online or Channel 77, I just want to say welcome and thanks for making the effort. It, it's a big deal <laughs> to do this, and we can turn on a, a football game at 8.30 in the morning, but you, but you chose to worship with us, and I'm grateful. And if you're with us for the first time today, or, or if this is one of your early visits to Centerpoint Church, uh, greetings and welcome to you as well. We're really glad that we can open the Word of the Lord together. Before we do that, I have uh, two brief announcements that I'd like to share with you. The first is we're going to share a meal together on Wednesday night. How about that? Uh, so come and hang out, and, and we'll meet right up here in the lobby from 5 to 6.15. Uh, we're having nachos. It promises to be um, a good time. So uh, bring your friends, your families, and uh, let's not have enough food. How would that be? That'd be pretty great. Um, and then the second thing, the second announcement that I have for you today is this, our final opportunity in 2023 to engage with uh, a, our class, uh, Discover Centerpoint, will happen on Tuesday, December 5. Tuesday, December 5. So Discover Centerpoint, the way we have orchestrated this is a, is a three-week course. Um, that helps you understand what it is to know Christ, grow together, and reach beyond yourself to help others do the same. And we're going to do that in one fell swoop on December 5. So I just invite you um, to register, go to Next Steps. Next Steps is this place that's out in the lobby. You can find it there. They can get you registered. Otherwise, stop and see me at the Welcome Center after worship, and I'd be glad to have a conversation with you and tell you a little bit more about Discover Centerpoint. Sound good? Sweet. There we go. I don't need that. We, we are in a series uh, called uh, Dear Church. And, and in this series, uh, we are looking at seven letters that were written by the Apostle John. John has written these seven letters to the seven ancient churches in what is modern-day Turkey. And uh, Jesus Christ has unveiled, this is the idea of revelation, that Jesus has unveiled a lot of things to John, and then he told John to write all of the things down that I show you. And I wonder what that would have been like for John. It might have been a little anxiety producing for me, like, what if I don't tell this right? Or, or what is with all of the weird-looking creatures? If you want to hear more about those or find out more about them, just keep reading in the book of Revelation. There are some weird creatures in there. Um, and, and then if you're um, more um, relevant to us, it might be, do I really have to tell them that, Jesus? Do, do I really have to write that down? Because they might think that that's from me, and we just want to be really clear that this is Jesus 
speaking to John, and, and he says some really harsh things, and I know enough of you, and I know enough about you that, that most of you are conflict-averse, right? And so you, you've received these letters, you read them, and, and they're a bit harsh. And, and what's true for me is I'm a little, le- con- a little less conflict-averse than most, um, and I still find them hard. They're still challenging. And uh, Pastor Sai, our campus pastor in Hayward, and I were talking about this early in the week, and I just want to give you a little window into um, the life of the preacher. Is like the messages that we preach are normally, uh, we are normally preaching to ourselves. So if you get anything out of what I say over the course of the next two hours, you're welcome. But it's mostly for me. I'm not excluding you, but it's true. The same is true for almost every preacher. If you're paying attention, the things that they're talking about, the things that they're preaching are not just good for you, um, they are good for us. Now, we didn't begin at the beginning of the letters in Revelation 2. We've bounced around a little bit, kind of giving you a little bit of this from death to life perspective. We've tried to move what it looks like from those letters that spoke mostly about death um, and and are moving towards life. So today we're going to be in uh, Revelation 2, verse 12, and and we're looking at the letter to the church in Pergamum. Now, Pergamum was the greatest city in Asia Minor. It's actually, I think, the only one that is still a city in Turkey. The rest of them were all obliterated. In any way, this, this great city, Pergamum, um, was home to the first temple that was built to the Roman Emperor Caesar. Now, at one time, there were three temples built in this city that, to honor Caesar, and Caesar was Lord. At least that's what they expected in this place. The familiar refrain was, Caesar is Lord. It was what was expected for them to say, and it was often spoken. And the challenge for people who are following Jesus Christ is this, is that um, Jesus is not going to um, share the stage with anybody. But, but Jesus, or Caesar is Lord, was the thing that was supposed to be communicated. And so there's tension. And we're going to dive into the tension. So there's a whole lot more that I could say to you about what's happening in the city of Pergamum. I might say a little bit more about that here pretty quick. But why don't we just turn to the word Lord and see what Jesus said to John about it. How about that? All right, let's pray as we dive into Revelation 2 verse 12. Father, would your word be our rule? your spirit, our teacher, and the glory of Jesus, our single concern. Amen. So friends, I invite you to hear these words from the book that we love in Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. To the angel in the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. 
There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week, Pastor Jamie was with us, and uh, he did a little bit of complaining, and then he, he, he kind of couched it in this idea of church ease, right? He said, I am lamenting this passage. And, and so I want to join the chorus of the complainers today. I'm going to lament the fact that this passage feels a whole lot like one I just preached two weeks ago to the, the letter to the church in Thyatira. Some of the same things are happening. And as I thought about it throughout the course of the week, this is what I arrived at. It's like, most of the time we don't need to learn something new as much as we need to be reminded about the truth that we already know. So it feels a little bit repetitive. You're hearing the same thing over and over and over again. But I thought I would try to serve it up a little bit differently this week. Okay? I don't want to tell you the same thing. I want to I give you a bit of an example. So, um, this, the picture that's going to pop up on the screen is a, is a shot of our daughter, Josie. Um, she was five in, when, these, when, this, when these pictures were taken, and uh, she was on the soccer pitch for the very first time, and I know nothing about football in this context except what Ted Lasso and Jamie Tart and Roy Kent have taught me in recent days. I know nothing about Soccer, But when soccer was being played and when Josie was on the pitch, it was like I had expectations for her and I had desires for her. I wanted her to be the best, to give her best, but to be the very best soccer player that existed as a five-year-old. And so the way in which she participated and the way she played uh, was it left a little something to be desired. It's like, you know how it is. I mean, those of you with kids, it's like amoeba ball is not the best way to play soccer. I know that much, right? Spread out. Get away from each other. Spread out a little bit and then participate. And so I, I have these great desires for my daughter. She is the best thing that happened to us. <laughs> and, and I would lose my mind every time. She stepped on the pitch because she knew somewhat what to do. Uh, and then those dandelions were pretty attractive. <laughs> I'm like, amoeba ball, no. Dandelions, no. And the way she went about picking the dandelion wasn't even helpful. You're just spreading seeds. You're making more work for the landscaping people. Stop with the dandelions. And so she would play, and I wasn't overly boisterous, at least not yet. 
um, when, when she got home, we would have a conversation. I would gently tell her, like, no on the amoeba ball, no on the dandelions. And take interest in what's happening. Now, if you were paying close attention to, to the slide, you probably weren't, and I don't blame you. But in the middle of that, you know, this is in the... I don't know, the late 90s and creative memories was a thing. So Kathy made this book, I made this page, and, and in there it said, your very first soccer match. And turns out this was not one of your favorite things to do. And I wonder why. Maybe she wasn't created for that. Maybe playing football wasn't what she was designed to do that's possible. Maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was because her dad would have these conversations and say, look, honey, when, when the ball is over there, you still need to be in position. You still need to do your things. And like, who are, who are the first children in the room? Do we have any first, any eldest? Every parent wants to tell you, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, honey. If you're watching this, I'm really sorry. Because first parents don't have a clue. I mean, parents with their first children don't have any clue what they're doing. None. We just mess it up and we try to put our expectations, our desires, and our wants and needs and blah, blah, all of that. We try to put them on our kids. And sometimes we even do it to our grandkids. Lord Jesus, help me not do this to my grandchildren's. Week two, she did a little better. A little less amoeba ball. Those dandelions were still a thing. I wanted the best for her. I always have wanted the best for her. And I wanted her to be the best. I want you to be the best. And, but I would get to this point where I was compromising how it is that I wanted to be a parent. I was compromising who it is that I thought I should look and behave like and act like as a follower of Jesus Christ. And sanctification is lifelong, yeah? So if you know, you know. And, and, but here's the thing, that word compromise is a big deal. The church in Pergamum was compromising the gospel. Did you catch it? Did you hear it? Did you feel it as we read the scripture together? This morning, I mean, there's a, a compromise and accommodation happening. And friends, Jesus never, never wants us to compromise our morality or our theology with the ways of the world. And yet it happens, right? We see it. We feel it. I dare say we even do it. We compromise. Now, we've been talking a lot about the idea of, the, of a life cycle of a congregation. A church will, will be excited at its infancy. It gets started, and it gets moving up the slope. And, and what happens is, is you move towards sustained health, and, and then you come back down the other side, and maintenance and preservation and life support are the impending doom of compromise. When we compromise the gospel, this is what happens. And if you'll notice, like, the, the, the climb is gradual, and you've you got to have a little help, and you need some momentum. And when you get to the top, well, it's not very big. Did you notice that? It's like, it's not this big, huge, long plateau. 
And when I get to the top of a hill, and if I get it all moving in the right direction, boom, we go down there really fast. And the same is true for the church. Maintenance, preservation, life support, and eventual death. And friends, death can happen to the church. It can. Now, most congregations around here have more than enough money to afford their dysfunction. But the reality is this. When we compromise around things like idolatry and immorality, the path to death is fast when we marry thoroughly with the world. Now, Pergamum is this place, and it's, it's a take on another word, two Greek words that were mashed together, and, and that word is Pergamos. And, and Pergamos, uh, literally translated, means married thoroughly. Now, the church in Pergamum had done a great job. They had married themselves thoroughly to the ways of the world. And the ways of the world were an add-on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yep, Jesus is Lord and so is Caesar. There's nothing wrong with that. And Jesus would say otherwise. Compromise is one of Satan's great ploys. It's one of the enemy's great tactics. But here's the thing, compromise is usually, it usually happens over time. It's slow. There's a slow fade that takes me from doing all of the Jesus kind of things to being over here where I've lost my way. Now, it used to be when I would go to an athletic event, I'm an old newspaper guy, and I'd run a camera, and I'd be at a game, and, and I'd see people who are newer leaders in the church, and, and they were losing their minds at their, at their children who were playing ball. And I was like, what is wrong with those people until I had a kid in the game? And, and, and this is what happens to us. We, we get wrapped up in these things, and, and the church gets wrapped up in 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 what it should be, and then it starts to do some things that it shouldn't do, and compromise happens. Am I the only one that experienced this? The invitation is that it wouldn't be this way. The invitation is is that we would understand clearly that we wouldn't compromise on the gospel, and that we would uh, walk in the truth of the gospel, that we would not marry thoroughly to the ways of the world. And, and when, when I would get to this place where I'm doing the things at the soccer match, well, I was out of alignment with the way in which God created me to live. And you are too when that's happening with you. It's, it's so is the church when the church is marrying thoroughly to the world. So it's, it's like at the top of the bell curve. It's not big, it's not long, and then we have a choice to make. Are we, are we going to go again and, and get healthy, and are we going to find new momentum, or are we going to just let it all slide down the slope? It's a good question. Jesus sees all of this. Jesus saw it happening in Pergamum, and so um, he called the question. And he had a conversation with John, and he helped them understand what it was that was happening. And Jesus then unveiled the way out of 
living in compromise, and he did it by the way of recognition, rebuke. He asked them to repent, and then when, when people repent, and when the church repents, there's a reward. The reward is fantastic. Let's look a little bit at the way in which Jesus sees and explains recognition to the people. He, he writes in verse 13, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. I know where you live. Where Satan has his throne, that's where you live. Like, he tells them, good job, you're, you're doing really good work. I see you, I see you, and I see you trying to, to adhere to the things that I'm asking you to do. But, but Satan has his throne in these places where we're doing all of the things that Satan would have us do. The things that are add-ons to the gospel. The things that are not from the Lord. This is what Satan's seat looks like. So rather than just doing the things of God, we're compromising the gospel. And these Christians suffered greatly because of their sacrifice. Their friend Antipas, he, he refused to drop incense onto the altar. So he's walking along and, and he is supposed to drop some incense on, in this little altar and then say, Jesus is Lord. And Antipas said, no. And he was killed because of it. And the phrase, friends, is trustworthy and true. The phrase that says, our faith will have great influence on our faithfulness. Antipas believed the truth of the gospel. He believed what Jesus was about, and he lived into it. He would not say, Caesar is Lord. Friends, Jesus recognizes all the temptations and all of the struggles that we engage in and all the discouragement that the people felt, and he sees the things that you feel too. And so he makes gracious allowances. He, he, set, he shows them that he recognizes what's happening and that he creates a pathway forward for them. And it comes through the way of rebuke. You might say, really? And I'm like, yeah. Rebuke is necessary when we're off kilter, when we've compromised, when we are married thoroughly with the world. Now, here's the greatest city in Asia Minor, and there's this group of people who are compromising their faith. And while Satan had not destroyed the church... He was making great inroads because people were compromising left and right. And then there's these two guys, Balaam and Balak. And if you're like me, um, you've read numbers, and so you cringe a little bit when you read these names. Um, And if you haven't, or if you're not aware of Balaam and Balak, um, here's the deal. I want to explain them to you. Balaam was a true prophet. He was one who prostituted himself, however. He sold his gifts so that Balak could make a bunch of money. Balak hired Balaam to teach him the way to do some counseling and to help the people in the church understand, but it did not work out. Balaam had taught the people of Israel um, to marry um, heathen women, to um, do a bunch of idol worship and to engage in the ways of the world. And and though God uh, did not allow Balaam's 
curse to become a curse. Instead, he turned it to blessing. Balak still made a pile of money. And, and, and here in Pergamon, there's this group of people, a, a group of people that the church figured there was nothing wrong with um, marrying with the world. We can do the things that the Romans do. This is okay, right? There's nothing wrong with compromise, is there? We can, we can drop a little incense in there and affirm Caesar and still love Jesus, but the way of the gospel says false. Peter, the apostle Peter, said this, they, they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. The people had bought into a way. They had bought into what it was like to compromise. And they were doing acceptable things over here in, in Balaam's world, the things of um, eating things that they weren't supposed to eat and, and having simple um, sexual relations. But the book of Numbers will tell us that 24,000 people died eating things they weren't supposed to eat and having sex in ways that they weren't supposed to be doing this. And you can read about it if you go to Numbers. But here's the thing. Heathen ways and heathen religions, all of the sin is about compromise. We cannot compromise. Not only is it not okay to compromise, but everything is wrong with compromising the way of Jesus. I mean, Peter said one thing. Paul would like a word here too. He says, you say food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual morality, but the body for the Lord and the Lord for the body. All the compromising, all the declaring that Caesar is Lord was a compromise that made the people bankrupt. It, it, it allowed them to, to be welcome in the Roman guilds and to protect their living. It allowed them to protect all of the things that they thought were important, but it cost them their testimony and their crown. And then there's these people, the Nicolaitans. We mentioned them a couple of weeks ago. They were simply a bunch of people who lorded over the other people about their faith. They led people astray, and it was another way of compromising Maybe I did that too with my level of expectation for my daughter on the soccer field. Have you? You see, the Lord despises all of the compromises. He, he, he does not want you to compromise. He does not want me to compromise. So he says, repent. And, and if we're going this way, if we're doing the things that are compromising, he says to turn and to go another way. Go to Jesus, go to the cross, and, and live a gospel-centered life. So, so friends, you, the, the, your invitation and mine is to live the way of Jesus, to live the way of the cross, is to not compromise it's to have deep conviction. Because here's the deal, and we see this. We see it as the world in which we inhabit evaporates, right? 
What one generation tolerates, the next one accepts, and then the next one celebrates. It's not Jesus' desire. So when people in churches live their lives based on their passions and their preferences, <laughs> we're, we're going to get up here and we're going to go down the slope really fast. It's not our desire. And then, Paul wrote, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Jesus says that he is going to come and, and overthrow this. And, and when he says he's coming soon, it, it's not so much soon as it is suddenly. And we won't have a clue that he's here doing it. The letter opens with the double-edged sword. Here's the sword of my mouth. Jesus is speaking and the word convicts. The word convicts. So when followers of Jesus and the church of Jesus Christ decide that they will no longer compromise and marry itself thoroughly with the world, the reward is fantastic. Look with me at verse 17 in Revelation 2. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it. Not only known only to the one who receives it. Did you hear the reward? When we overcome the temptation, we'll get some hidden manna, and, and we'll receive white stones with our name written on it. Yeah! <laughs> Do you feel it? I mean, isn't that exciting? What a reward! Why am I the only one excited? Because we might not get this. But I want you to, I want to help you see this. Jesus himself says this. John 6. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. Friends, Jesus Christ is the manna that comes down from heaven. Whoever receives him, whoever takes him in, will surely not die. Jesus is the unseen source of nourishment and strength for those who follow him. It's true for us, it's true for you online. And when we stop compromising and when we stop giving into the temptations of the world, the Lord gives us hidden manna. And not only that, he gives us a white stone with a name engraven on it. And, and these white stones were what people received when they were in, when they were acquitted at trial. They were not guilty. The black stone was given to the people who were guilty. So, so we receive a white stone. We're not guilty anymore. We're not married thoroughly to the ways of the world. And so we receive this gift. And, and not only that, he puts our name on it. Recognition, rebuke, 
repent, reward. Jesus sees it all, friends. He sees the life you're living. He sees the struggle. He sees all of it. And he simply says, come to me. Don't compromise. Because the people, our struggle, right? Our struggle can be that we put our faith in Capitol Hill and not Calvary's Hill. He rebukes us when we play the way of the world and don't pray that his world would come. Jesus calls us to repent of our compromise, to live in ways that are far more wise. He calls us to repent when we're rude and don't love so that we might bring down heaven from above. The challenge is really significant. We, we have meetings before worship that take place out in the lobby, and TJ was leading the, 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 the conversation today, and, and he, he said these words. He said, like, the vision is really clear. It's all there. It's all splattered on the wall. The challenge is living it. The challenge is living it, friends. So all I ever wanted for my daughter was the very best. It's all I desired. And, and my ways of thinking about the best and what that meant was, was sometimes, sometimes compromised. Uh, but, but it's no longer that. All I wanted was this. Um, there should be a picture here. Uh, so these are my granddaughters. It turns out that Josie wasn't supposed to be a soccer player. <laughs> she was just supposed to love Jesus. And that's all I wanted. That's all I ever wanted was that she and each of my kids would know Christ. And now their kids know Christ, and, and she's streaming music. Did you see all the toys on the floor? Who cares? The kids are singing and worshiping. And every week in the, the town, they live in Dubuque, and they're engaged in the life of their church. And, and every week, there are people streaming into their home, and they are making disciples, um, this little family who she didn't want to be a soccer player. She wasn't supposed to be a soccer player. She was supposed to be a follower of Jesus who loved Jesus passionately. And sometimes we miss it. I missed it when she was five. I, I see it clearly. Now, she would be the first one to say, I don't do this perfectly. <laughs> I have my own struggles and my own things, and I get that. I simply want the analogy to stick today. They love and serve the Lord. They're doing everything they can to not marry thoroughly with the world, to compromise on the gospel. They're being clear and honest and true to who they are and who they've been created to be. And when we were all younger, when she was younger and when I was younger, I wanted all of these other things, or at least I thought I did. And then I tried to put them on her. All I want is for her to know Christ and to make Christ known. And friends, that's all I want for you. 
All I want for you is to know Christ, is that you would know Christ and that we would know him together and that we would make him known in some really powerful ways in the places that we live and work and play, that we wouldn't marry ourselves to the ways of the world, but that we would make Christ known. We won't compromise our morality. We won't compromise our theology. Instead, we will know him, we will be known by him, and we will make him known to the world in which we inhabit. Your invitation, church, is to repent wherever it is that you're thoroughly married to the world, and then reap the rewards that come when we don't. That's it. Sounds simple and it's really hard. Repent and receive the reward. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we no longer want to compromise. We don't want to um, bring the ways of the world into our expressions of the gospel. God, would you help us to know your son Jesus so that we could be known by him and that we would make him known. Thank you for recognizing us and when we are doing our very best. And thank you for rebuking us when we miss it. And then give us courage to repent so that we're able to receive your reward. God, I want that manna, and I want that to override all of the other things in my life. Would you nourish me, strengthen me, Jesus, so that I can make you known, so that we together would make you known. That's my prayer. Jesus' sake, amen. Thanks for listening to the Centerpoint Church Podcast. Be sure to keep up with us on social media at facebook.com slash wearecenterpoint or on Instagram at wearecenterpoint. We hope to see you soon in person for worship on Sundays at 930.